great to see you all this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 7, verse 1. And we will pick up there in a moment. By way of reminder, we are working our way through the Gospel of John. And we are currently in a section of the Gospel of John known as the Festival Cycle. That's chapters 5 through 10, in which we see Jesus in action in multiple Jewish festivals. But what's not immediately obvious, if you're just sort of reading through the narrative, is that we are actually reading about a potentially years worth of Jesus' ministry. Uh, over the course of these chapters. And in fact, historically, the reason that we know that Jesus' ministry was about three years long is from the Gospel of John. Uh, The other Gospel accounts are sort of um, more linear. They just show Jesus sort of in Galilee, working his way toward Jerusalem and the cross. But John has taken the time to show Jesus at all of these different festivals. And therefore, we get sort of a rough timeline. We see Jesus at one Passover festival. And then a year later, we see him at another Passover festival. And then a year later, we see him at another Passover festival. And so uh, you get a sense of about how long... He was in public ministry. But the reason that John has written these things was not to give us a timeline, though that's helpful, but rather it was to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish festivals themselves. Uh, Last week, we read about Jesus at the Passover festival, and this morning we see Jesus just a few verses later, but months have now gone by. It's the next festival, the Festival of Tabernacles. We pick up in chapter 7, Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Remember the backstory is that he's healed on the Sabbath day uh, and now they want to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. Uh, No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Remember, he's been at all the other festivals, so they're anticipating he will be at this one as well. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And as we uh, open up scripture and we see a a glimpse of who you are, of uh, how you acted at this week, at this festival, uh, Lord, I pray in the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes as to uh, how it's to inform the way we live today. Uh, It's really easy to say, oh, this is what one person did at one place at one time thousands of years ago. Would you help us connect the dots, Lord? Uh, As disciples of Jesus, we long to be with you. Uh, We long to become like you. And uh, the point of our lives is now to do what you would do uh, if you were us, if you had uh, our gender, our age, our birthplace, our vocation. uh, What would you you do? Lord, how would you live the life that we've been given? Uh, Would you just sort of light that up, illuminate that in our minds this morning as we seek to follow you as your students, as your apprentices, as your disciples? Uh, Show us the way uh, that we ought to walk in this life, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. As the Festival of Tabernacles approaches, there is tension in the air. Jesus knows that the leadership is, of Jerusalem is plotting to kill him. He knows that to walk into Jerusalem is, in a sense, to risk his life and almost invite violence that is being plotted against him. And yet, as the festival approaches, there's this sense in which Jesus wants to be there, uh, that he ought to be there, that as the replacement for the temple itself, that he really should go and be there and teach his disciples from the temple courts, from the center of their world. Uh, In terms of events, the Festival of Tabernacles is is not obviously, is arguably Uh, the biggest festival of the year in Israel. Every Jewish man, regardless of where they lived, was expected to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they were often accompanied uh, by their wife or their children or even their extended families uh, would all go up together. And Jesus' family is no exception. As the festival approaches, they are planning their pilgrimage up to that event. But as the, as the day draws near, Jesus makes it clear that he won't be going with them. In fact, his brothers, demonstrating their unbelief, uh, sort of dare him to go. Hey, if you really were important, you would be there. If you really were a holy religious leader, like you claim to be, then you'd go up to Jerusalem. If you really were the Messiah, then you would go and show yourself to the crowds. Why are you hiding out on the fringes uh, at the edge of the nation state in Galilee, doing all of your miracles there? Uh, Go up to the temple and reveal yourself to them. But Jesus isn't swayed by their words. He actually uh, lets them leave. He delays several days, and then he heads up to the festival anyhow. 
And if you're reading the account, it sounds sort of odd, right? Because Jesus says, oh, no, no, I'm not going up to this festival. You go ahead. And then a few days later, he goes anyhow, which seems a bit strange. Uh, Most scholars think that he's actually doing this to protect his family. Because if he goes up with his extended family in a caravan uh, into uh, Jerusalem near the temple, he's actually inviting violence not just on himself, but now on his entire family. Uh, They too could easily get caught in the crossfire. And so uh, for the sake of his family, he says, no, I won't go. Uh, And then he ends up going in secret, in private, uh, up to the temple. Uh, But before he even arrives, you can sort of sense the tension in the air. Uh, The Jewish leaders are actively anticipating him. They have people on the lookout, scanning the crowds, trying to find him. The crowds themselves are already holding the debate and sort of whispering back and forth. You know, is he a good man? Uh, No, I don't know if he is. I think he uh, is coming to deceive the people. I don't know that he's trustworthy. And so there's all this tension and anticipation in the crowds and within the leadership, everyone's sort of waiting and watching to see if he's going to show. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he sort of reveals himself within the temple courts and begins teaching the crowds that have gathered there. And uh, the scripture says that he didn't do any miracles this time, which is interesting to note. Last time he was in Jerusalem, he did. And there's a sense in which Jerusalem is still reeling from that event still sort of angry and torn over whether uh, his healing miracles were right or wrong. Uh, He doesn't do any miracles this time, and it's not clear if that's just to like give them a break from all of this tension or because of the lack of faith that is now so apparent within the city. But instead, he just teaches, and it says that uh, the crowds are amazed at his teaching and his insight. So there's this sort of positive response of the crowds, but the entire scene is thick with tension and controversy. And it's important to note that even the crowds that are amazed at his teaching refuse to believe in him or to follow him. In fact, I would argue that this moment marks a crisis in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, In the months leading up to this festival, Jesus explained that he is the bread of life, that his followers, uh, in some sense, must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. Uh, And he doesn't really explain what that means. And in the aftermath of that explanation, it says, quote, from this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So not only did the crowds desert him in the months leading up to this event, but his disciples leave. There's a difference between crowds and disciples. His disciples are now leaving him in droves, and he turns to the 12, perhaps the only ones who are left, and he says, "Do you not want to uh, you do not want to leave too, do you?" To which they reply, "Where else would we go? Where would we go?" You are the only one with eternal life. So the 12 decide to stay, but you can imagine the pain of this season. Most of his disciples have walked away. The national leaders have rejected him and are plotting to kill him. The crowds have deserted him. 
And even though he's risking his life to come and be with them and teach them, the very crowds that he is teaching are confused about him. Public opinion is blurred. Is he a good man or is he a deceiver? Uh, Some are accusing him of even being paranoid or demon-possessed, as in, you are crazy. You have lost touch with reality. Uh, You are not a trustworthy person. His own brothers don't believe that he is anyone special, and they begin to slander him and tease him. Public opinion is at an all-time low. So these are difficult times for Jesus. But notice how he responds to these pressures. It's not with compromise or caving to the crowds or just giving them what they want. It's not with anger or derision or insulting tweets. It's not with retreat and self-preservation. Hey, why don't I shrink back and go to Galilee where I'm better received. Rather, Jesus responds by risking his life in love, sharing the truth, and walking in step with the Spirit. In fact, this is the explanation that he gives the crowds regarding his teaching. He says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. In other words, my goal is not to promote myself or my name or my ministry. Rather, my goal is to glorify God and to do the will of God, even though it will cost me everything. Even though things are not going well by every measurable standard. We have this narrative that says, if I'm in the will of God, then things will go well for me. Some of us say that out loud. Some of us just kind of carry that as an unspoken rule in our life. If I'm in the will of God, then things will go well for me. How do I know that I'm doing what God wants? that I'm doing what's pleasing to him, that I'm walking in step with the Spirit. Well, everything is going really well. God is blessing it. My ministry is growing. My small group is growing. Our church is growing. People are coming to faith. Whatever that sort of external marker might be. My business is growing. But notice that Jesus' experience really flies in the face of that narrative. It's actually because he's in the will of God, because he only speaks what he senses the the Father speaking, and he only does what he sees the Father doing, it's for that reason that he's in so much trouble. It's for that reason that things are going so poorly. There is not a single external marker that is suggesting that God is blessing this thing. People are leaving, not coming. Uh, The faith of the nation is uh, waning, not rising. His brothers are insulting, not encouraging. Jesus says, hey, I'm not doing this for my glory, for my name. I'm actually doing it for God's glory. 
And the crowds respond by saying, hey, you are demon-possessed. In today's language, you're insane. You're an idiot. You, you have lost touch with reality. I mean, how, how discouraging for Jesus. How insulting. But I want us to grasp what Jesus is experiencing because it speaks powerfully to the cultural moment that we're living in. If you look at the church, all across America, numbers are declining. And what was happening for decades leading up to the pandemic uh, have only been accelerated over the last two years. And all of the forces that sort of came together uh, over those, those last two years have sort of knocked the wind out of an American church uh, that in some ways was already on its knees. As a result, thousands of leaders have resigned or retired early, leaving literally thousands of churches in America right now leaderless because their leaders have quit without replacement. And thousands of other churches have closed their doors over the last two years and will continue to close their doors with leaders still in place. To make matters worse, for many pastors and leaders in our nation, there was this sense through the pandemic of, hey, we can get through this. We can run off adrenaline. We can weather the storm. We can keep our heads above water. And when it's over, if we can just make it through, people will come back. Our church communities will swell with everyone returning again. And at last, secular culture, uh, forced to go through the pandemic without any true sense of hope, will at last become uh, thirsty, uh, curious about God, and will come into church again. Uh, it, we're going to see this explosion of life as soon as the pandemic ends. But the reality is that hasn't happened. Last week, Christianity came out with an article that basically said, yeah, those people that you're counting on, they're never coming back. The pandemic's over and there is no return. There is no swell. In the words of Maz Kanata, you already know the truth. Whomever you're waiting for, they're never coming back. This is it, in other words. Welcome to reality. And as we're forced to accept this new reality post-pandemic, I think we're going to see more pastors and leaders continue to resign in the months that lie ahead. A few days ago, as I was literally in the middle of studying for this teaching, I got an email inviting me to a pastoral retreat. I don't even know how, who these people are or how I got on the email list, but I got this email uh, while I was in the midst of studying, and I copy-pasted this from the email. This is what it said. It said, church leaders are leaving, often for good reasons. You need a space to honestly wrestle with the question, why should I stay in this ministry? 
The Wise Stay Retreat will give you a safe space to examine the joys and difficulties you've encountered throughout your ministry journey and discover new energy for your next season, your next call, or your next move. Hashtag Wise Stay. I think this is a moment of crisis for the American church. And I don't think it's just a leader thing or a pastor thing. I think it's a discipleship thing. I don't think that leaders are burning out left and right while everyone else is just having a party. I think why stay is something that every disciple of Jesus is going to have to wrestle with in the years that lie ahead. I think all of us need a safe space to process the joys and difficulties that we're encountering in our discipleship journey. Because there's this sense in which as followers of Jesus in America, we are experiencing a bit of what Jesus experienced. Imagine his experience in Galilee. His message didn't change. He didn't change. But all of a sudden, everything else changed. I think it's the same for us. God hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. But the cultural response has. And nationwide, there's almost a sense of, hey, where are the crowds? Where is the cultural favor? It feels like we hit this moment over the last few decades where the cultural elite almost turned on the church and the culture itself withdrew its approval. And then just like Jesus, actually great numbers of disciples began to leave. Started with cultural approval, but then it, its impact was that that large numbers of disciples have now left the church because the cost was too high or the gospel was too offensive or they were simply seduced by other things. And it's almost like we're living in this moment where Jesus is turning to the remnant that's left of the church and saying, are you going to leave also? What about you? And so we're in this moment of asking, sort of, will I leave or will I stay? Why stay? Why stay when every form of cultural tide feels like it's running the other direction? We've stepped into this moment in this decade and, and arguably over the two decades leading up to it, where Jesus is still at the temple at the center of culture and power, but the cultural elites have rejected him. And now the culture itself is standing back in light of that and having the debate. The crowds are whispering among themselves. No, I, I think the church is good. I, I think there's something good there. No, I don't think so. I, I think they are deceived, and they deceive others. They, they are demon-possessed, crazy. They have lost touch with reality. 
And if you're part of the remnant of the church, we, we want to do what Jesus did. We want to stand in the center of culture, in the temple courts, courts so to speak, teaching and healing and sharing the truth of who Jesus is. We want to walk in step with the Spirit. We want to live for God's glory and not our own. But we have to be prepared for this response. We have to be ready to be rejected by the cultural centers of power, misunderstood and marginalized. To be analyzed and slandered and misunderstood by the crowds. To be insulted by our own brothers and sisters, online or otherwise. Not because we've lost the will of God, but precisely because we are in the will of God. Are you okay with cultural pushback? Or is it time to depart with the crowds? Will you receive the gospel in all of its beauty and all of its offensiveness? Or will you turn back? Will we cave to cultural pressure and cultural compromise, becoming the type of church and the type of disciples that the crowds want? Or will we stand with integrity on the truth of Scripture? Will we grow angry and bitter and lash out at the culture, venting our fear and rage on social media? Or will we stand in solidarity with Jesus in a peace that passes all understanding? Will we grow weary and timid, withdrawing from the culture, in an act of self-preservation, running back to Galilee? Or will we stand with Him, risking our lives to love, to teach the crowds that so rarely understand? The American church is at a critical crossroads, and we need to decide who we are going to be in the years that lie ahead. Barna estimates that no more than 10% of all American Christians are what we would call resilient disciples. 10%. Which means that in the absence of revival or cultural renewal, the church will continue to bleed out over the next few decades. We've got millions of people on the chopping block waiting to cave to cultural pressure. What kind of disciples do we want to be? We live in a moment when many of the cultural elites wish that the church was dead and gone. Where the crowds cannot decide if we are good or bad, moral or immoral. Decent or demon-possessed? 
We live in a moment when the number of disciples is declining, not rising. Where the faith of the culture is waning, not swelling. And it's in these moments we need to decide what kind of church, what kind of people, what kind of disciples are we going to be? I believe that revival is coming. That one day God is going to stir our culture, stir our nation in a way that we have not seen over the last 40 or 50 years. The question is, will we be there to help usher it in? Will we be there on our knees in solidarity with the Messiah? The one who knows, the one who has been here before. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you as the remnant of the church on behalf of the remnant of the church, recognizing that we face a unique type of cultural pressure that is proving highly, highly effective. against the church, against discipleship, against the prevailing models that have been used over the last couple of decades. And though many of us, Lord, may be uh, feeling that pressure or wrestling with some difficult questions right now, we stand in solidarity with the original 12 and say, Lord, where else would we go? Secular culture has so much to offer right now, so many distractions, so many uh, glimmering but false narratives. And, And Lord, we might feel that tug, and yet at the same time we recognize that to walk away from you and plunge ourselves into that world ultimately leaves us with nothing. Where else would we go? Is there anything else on heaven or on earth and any other narrative or framework that offers eternal life? And so, Lord, we come to you and we say, teach us to flourish in this cultural moment. We see you standing in the temple courts, a death threat hanging over your head. Crowds arguing, whispering, brothers mocking. And and yet you delighted in doing the will of God. You you are the uh, shining example of resilient discipleship. God, teach us to do the same. In the months and years that lie ahead, God, the resilient disciples will survive and thrive, and those who are not resilient will go the way of the crowds. 
So we say, Holy Spirit, come and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.